front of the phone here. Um, yes. Technical difficulty. Would you turn, please, to the book of Numbers, chapter 20? Numbers, chapter 20. Self-evident truth is if you live long enough, you're going to die. <laughs> well, we find that not only does Moses miss Miriam, as we considered last time in Numbers, now he's going to face the, the passing away of his dear brother Aaron. And just like the fact that Miriam's death certainly had an influence on Moses when he uh, angrily struck the rock. No excuse, but it was a sad time. In, in a sense, there's a doubly sad time here as we consider that Israel is passing through or around Edom and the nation needs water and they were going to pay for the water if the Edomites would allow them to use their wells, but sadly, their distant cousins, the Edomites, wouldn't allow that. I would like to just read that before even this, this, the section especially we're going to touch this, this morning. So let's begin with verse 14 of, of Numbers 20. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom, Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and, brought, and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border, let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. So now Israel offers to pay a little money for the water. You think that money sometimes talks. And the children of Israel said unto him, we will, we will go by the highway, and if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore Israel turned away from him. And the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came unto Mount Hor. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up unto Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son and Aaron shall be gathered unto his people and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded and they went up into Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son and Aaron died there in the top of the mountain. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron 30 days, even all the house of Israel. Sober passage, isn't it? A sacred passage. We're on sacred ground as, as we come to the death of a saint. And just like we sang earlier from Psalm 116, 
precious in the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Though Aaron was certainly chastened, and we might say he died a premature death, but not really at the end of the day. He still was precious in the eyes of the Lord, and especially as the Lord brought this saint to glory. And so I'd like us to think about the fact how the gospel works, especially in the death of a saint. The blessed death of a believer. Death is a dreaded word in the English dictionary and vocabulary. We often don't want to use that dreaded word, and we like to use the word passed away or gone or something like that, but when we die, it's death. It shouldn't be dreaded among the people of God. Maybe you were astonished at the writer of Ecclesiastes that said, better is the day of one's death than the day of his birth. We might take sides and say, I beg to differ. But you know, if I think, I think as believers, just one hour in heaven will change our mind if we disagree with the writer of Ecclesiastes. What are we just saying? What are we just saying? What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We will sing and shout the victory. No one will wish to go back who enters into the presence of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Yes, death is sad, but it's not terrorizing for the believer. In coffins, someone said, are powerful sermons. Coffins are powerful sermons. Graves are powerful sermons, aren't they? I think we're privileged to be next to a graveyard. You know, in the old country, the graves were next, they bought enough land so that they would bury their people in the churchyard. So everywhere you go in the old country, whether it be England or Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland or France, in the old church buildings, you find cemeteries next to them. And you'll read something like this in, in, in the cemeteries of the godly. Where I am, so you shall be, so prepare for eternity. I think we should plan if, to have a message on our gravestones. Because we, if, if the Lord tarries long after you and I are gone, don't we want to leave a message? It would be, I think, wise to have a Bible verse. Our brother Fred has one, doesn't he? Though I can't remember. What is his Bible? Is, is, he, is, it, is it not you must be born again? I think it is. I would encourage you to visit the grave of our former um, treasurer. Thank you. He groomed our present treasurer. And he passed in 2007. We miss him dearly. You see his picture up on the wall up there if, if you go up into the balcony. Coffins are powerful sermons, and so are urns. Urns have certainly the message, unto dust shalt thou return, just like the Lord said to Adam and Eve. Interestingly, in the passage before us, there's no coffin or urn that's seen by the congregation. We're not told exactly how Aaron's body, but no doubt very respectfully, buried at the top of Mount Hor. And I don't know, it's, it's possible that the people in those 30 days of mourning went up to the top of the mountain to visit the grave of Aaron. We're not told, but just real sobering, instructive times when we visit graves and graveyards to remind us that our life is like a, a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Perhaps all of us in this room lost a loved one in 2023 or more. 
my oldest cousin just died a week or two ago. His mother had come to the Lord just before she died many, many years ago. But there was a conspicuous absence that really struck the hearts of the people of Israel. You see, what they saw, they saw three men ascend the mountain. They watched Moses and Aaron and Eliezer walk up the mountain, perhaps in a very clear day, to be able to see them until they were out of sight. And most likely all of them, most of them didn't know exactly what was going on. Maybe, maybe they were going up for a prayer meeting. Maybe they are going up to meet with the Lord. And both are probably true. But how, how much was it to their hearts when they saw only two men descend? Eliezer has now his father's priestly garments on. And he's now flanked by Moses. Moses' death isn't going to be very long from, from that point. Absence often punctuates our gatherings. There are folks that are absent that we would wish that were here today, whether they're alive or they're dead. But perhaps that's been your experience of a loved one or a friend when you've gone into their home after their death or into a place that you frequented with them and they're gone. We used to stay with a, an elderly brother in the Lord down in Greenville, South Carolina, um, Mr. Larson, Richard Larson. And he said after he buried his wife, Marilyn, many years ago, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was the same evening after the funeral, he said he, he walked in the house. And I don't know if he was dropped off, but he walked in the house and he said, Marilyn, I'm home. And it was just like a harpoon. You know, no answer. She's gone. I've got to face this for the rest of my life. But thank God that this passage tells us that Death is not the end. For the believer, for the born-again soul, for the genuine Christian, death may be the end of this life, but it's just the beginning of the next life. It is not death to die, as a song says. For the Lord says to Moses and to Aaron, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people. Do you notice that? And it's not we may call that a euphemism, like passed away. That's a good euphemism. They've been gathered to their people. They've been gathered with their parents. They've gathered with... But that's a fact. It's not merely a euphemism. It's a fact that when a believer dies, he or she gather is, is added to... Their people, their loved ones that they prayed with and sang with and friends and many strangers that they'll begin to be introduced to. Our hands are going to get sore in heaven, shaking people's hands. You should say, well, no, no body yet. Well, I don't know. Our, 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 uh, our ears are going to get tired it's going to be a wonderful day, one by one, to meet those that we never knew. It's just so surreal, isn't it? And to read in the Bible of people that, you know, you read history books about President Lincoln and history books about, um, you know, the, the, different, the different kings and queens, and you think, well, it's just history. It's in, a, it's in a book, and we'll never get to meet these people, yet... You read and a believer who dies gets to see Adam, Noah, Noah's wife, David, 
Solomon, Paul, Esther, and Ruth, and Mary. And you think, you know, it'd just be wonderful. Won't somebody, you know, Mary will say, hey, there's Peter. Go meet Peter. But of course, I hope all of us will want to see Jesus first. To see Jesus himself, the Son of God, the one who paid for our sins. How will we know it's Jesus? There will be no halo over his head. How will we know it's Jesus? Well, in many ways, he'll be seated upon a throne. He may stand up for, I know the Bible tells us he stood up for Stephen when he died and went to heaven. I don't know if he's going to stand up for every saint. But I know this, we'll know him because he's king. And we'll know him because we'll see the angels worshiping him and saints worshiping him. And we'll join that throng. And we'll know him by the print of the nails that are in his hand. He kept those trophies, you know. It's not death to die for a believer because Jesus conquered death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You know, if I knew that a bee didn't have a stinger or that little, that hovering insect that was going after me didn't have a stinger, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Oh, it would be annoying. But that's the point that the Bible makes about death. It's lost its sting for a true believer. It's a bee without a stinger. Oh, it's still a bee. And it is seeming, it is a little bit annoying to think that I've got to face so-called grim reaper, but it shouldn't be a grim reaper for you and me. It's not a reaper of our soul. It's an escort. It's a, it's a butler into heaven. And it should be welcome. Welcome death. It's an entrance into glory. The sting of death is sin, but Christ died for and killed our sin. So Christians don't die in sin. We die from sin. It's interesting when you think about the four deaths of Calvary regarding sin. I thought there were only three, Jesus and those two thieves. But spiritually, there were four deaths. There was death for sin by the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. There was death from sin. When the believer died, he died away from sin, right? There was death in sin. The man that died without Christ, his suffering just began. But there was death to sin forever. Sin had no power over the believer. RIP applies only to believers. I cringe when I read of people saying RIP to those that died without Christ. Of course, we don't know what happens in most cases. People we don't know, even celebrities, we don't know what happened at the end. Jesus can save people at the end of their lives, on their deathbeds, but don't count on it because many times people don't have their senses on their deathbed. And the deathbed might be the automobile and not just a hospital bed. And so it comes quickly. RIP applies to believers. We, they rest in peace. People don't want to believe there's a second place. There's a heaven to gain, the Bible says, but the Bible teaches there's a hell to shun. And those who die without Christ will never rest in peace. It's unrest in wrath. We want to dispel that thought. People just have this idea that death is a ticket to heaven. It's Christ. Christ is the way to heaven. And the devil has deceived the world. He's a great deceiver to think, don't be afraid of death. It's just a ticket to he heaven. 
To think that he knows he has a place in the lake of fire and he's such a, a wicked liar that he wants everybody else to disbelieve in hell. And yet the Bible says the demons believe in God and they tremble. They tremble to think they're going to face God one day when they are cast into hell. But for the believer, it is not death to die. It is not death to die. When Aaron died, he rested in peace. No more sin did he commit. No more sin did he observe. No more murmurings and and disputing that he heard from the congregation. Notice that death is appointed by the Lord. It's just, just like an appointment. Okay, Aaron, get ready. I mean, it was that simple, isn't it? The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die and after that a judgment. But it says Aaron shall be gathered. He knew the time. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Just walk up the mountain and die on top. Some people seem to have an understanding that they're going to die soon. Aaron knew within perhaps an hour or more. It's that simple. The time was set. The key is, the time is set for all of us. I may not make it to 2024. We've got to live with that realization. We can't presume. Presumption is pride. We're not in control of our lives. Ours is the readiness not to know when. God made God did not allow a lot of people to know when. He gave Hezekiah, what, 15 years? He gave Aaron just a few hours, perhaps. Others knew the time of their death. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't want to get cancer and die. I don't want to die in a head-on accident. But it's not up to us. Everybody would love to just fall asleep at night and wake up in heaven. Others, many have had that privilege. But that, we shouldn't just determine or dictate to God, Lord, whatever way, is the way to die. Help me to not complain. Help me to submit to your sovereignty. But we know at death, we can say this about everybody, they've met their maker. They've met their maker. For the believer, the Bible indicates that we'll have an interview with the Lord right after we die. And that's, you know, the Bible says, Every one of us will give account of himself to God. And, you know, people will say, well, that's going to take place many years after you're in heaven, but we'd be biting our nails, as it were, for all that time beforehand if we knew we were going to have an interview. And again, I can't be dogmatic, but it seems to me that that verse indicates that we'll have that interview as soon as we die. Will we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Will the Lord say, why did you give up? Why were you unfaithful? Why did you, like Lot, let your soul be vexed with this filthy world? Why, like Solomon, did you sow your immoral oats? Why were you not more zealous? Why did you quit? The Lord tells us to persevere to the end, to be faithful unto death to use our gifts for the edification of the body of Christ. An interview with the Lord for the believer is a fearful thing because there are degrees of rewards as well as degrees of punishment for those in hell. But in hell, it's not an immediate interview with the Lord in the sense it says, of one man who died, Jesus said, in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. But then there's another interview at the end. It says, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And they were judged, every man according to his works. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast. Not escorted, cast, thrown in the lake of fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. None of us can reschedule or miss or avoid our appointment with death. We all have an appointment. God has it in his appointment book. And the angels know as well. When they're told to go and escort, escort my servant to heaven. But escort the rebel to hell. When I was hitchhiking as an 18-year-old And in 1978, 45 years ago this month, brother and sister, I was saved. 45 years ago. Hitchhiking as a drunken, wicked man. A man gave me a gospel tract. It was a picture tract. And a brother, two brothers, both extreme. One was saved, one wasn't. The brother that was saved died first and his name was in the book of life and the angel escorted him up to glory. The other one was lost, died lost. His brother had warned him, pleaded with him to be saved. He was brought before the judgment seat of Christ and I'd never heard of such a thing before. Is his name written in the book of life? No, my Lord. And the angel casts him into a lake of fire. Are you ready? Readiness is yours and mine, friend. It's not when. I wouldn't worry about when. And I would not presume that we'll even see the rest of this day or the rest of this hour. If you're ready, it doesn't matter when the appointment is. It doesn't matter. That thief could, what a comfort. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So when the soldiers broke his legs, he was in tremendous pain. But he had the promise of Jesus in his soul. He knew when he died, when his soul left, he was with the Lord. Jezebel knew the way that she was going to die. I tell you what, if I was told the dogs would eat me in in Jezreel, that's the last place I'd ever visited. What a fool that she's in Jezreel. And the dogs were, were cleaner than Jezebel. They left her head and her hands. She was so wicked that the dogs couldn't stomach her, her wicked hands and her wicked head. Ahab was told he'd die in battle and the dogs would lick his blood and he was, someone was just, just taking a bow and an arrow and as it were, they cast it into the air. It wasn't some soldier that was aiming at Ahab. God's Providence, God's sovereignty, a man just said, you know, I got an extra arrow. And he just let it go, and it struck Ahab while he was sitting in the chariot. You see, you can't escape God's judgment if you're rebelling against him, hardening your heart. It can happen to anyone. And it says that he told all his man to prop him up And he was propped up until the end of the day and he died. And it says while they were washing out the chariot, the dogs were licking his blood. You see, God's word will not return void. But believers can face death if they know it's going to happen with confidence and with joy and with great expectation What does Jesus say? You know, if I was Jesus in the upper room and I knew I was going to die 
If I, if I was in an upper room and I knew, I would not want to leave the, the upper room. What does he say to his disciples? Arise, let us go hence. I've got a, a work to do to save your souls. And I know I'm going to be arrested. I know I'm going to be tortured. I know I'm going to be crucified. And I know I'm going to be mocked. And I'm going to face the wrath of God. But I love you and I want to save you. And this is the only way I can save you. And Paul could say, I'm ready to die. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up before me a crown of life. And he forgave those who forsook him. I pray that God doesn't keep this to their charge. And Peter could just say, the Lord told me that soon I'm going I'm to give up this, this tent. But I want to leave some words with you. And I want to, though I'm dead, yet as it were I'm speaking, just like it says of Abel. It is not death to die because death is appointed by the Lord for the believer. It's to be present with him. But death is a grim reminder of sin. The Lord does say, for he shall, Aaron shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel because ye rebelled against my word. There was a sin in Aaron and Moses' life that did bring them down. And we, we do believe that we die because of sin. Generally speaking, dying you will die, he said to Adam. The wages of sin is death. But there are sins that believers commit. The Lord says, okay, it's time. You've had enough. I've given you opportunity. you forfeited your opportunity to live any longer. There is that principle that I'm just taking up space. I'm I'm using the, the nutrients and I'm, my, my tree is not producing fruit. Oh Lord, I want to produce fruit. I want to be faithful. I want to be useful. But there's a point where the Lord says, okay, it's time. I've, I've warned them over and over and over again. I've cautioned, I've pleaded with them through my prophets, through my preachers, through my servants and they won't budge. Obituaries are reminders of sin's reality and the gospel's remedy. Jesus saves us from our sins. There is a remedy for sin and a readiness for death. Christ died for our sins. He was successful. He was buried. He rose again the third day for our justification. He was triumphant over sin. It's either Christ is triumphant over your sin or that sinners succumb to their sin. It's either a substitute dies for you or you die for you. And the substitute, Jesus' death for you, is saving. If we die, if you die, for you, and, and there's no substitute, it's not a saving death. It's a horrifying, condemning death. And there's no second chance. You see here in this passage, a saint's death is an opportunity for a godly legacy. Spurgeon said, a father's holy life is a rich legacy for his sons. And you can say that the same about a mother or a brother or a sister. What a legacy. They lived for the Lord. They didn't give in to the culture of death and they didn't allow public opinion in the practice of the culture to determine their, what they believed. They were willing to take the hit. We're told that we don't love because we expose sin. But that's a loving thing to do, to expose someone. Is it loving for a doctor to hide the fact that you have cancer because it'll be a negative influence on you? What kind of doctor would, be, would that be if he hides the fact that you're deathly sick because he doesn't want you to, he doesn't want you to, to feel trauma and, and he doesn't want you to feel bad. Man, you're sick. You've got cancer. It's got to be cut out. 
That's the kind of doctor you want to have. But you got these clergy standing from the pulpits and saying, you're all right, don't worry about it. Whether you're a thief or whether you're a homosexual or whether you're a murderer or whether you're, or whether you're a fornicator, it's okay. Live and let live. That's the exact opposite. Your sin will find you out. The most loving thing that we can do to share with a sinner, like I was a sinner, you're a sinner and you need to be saved. You can't ignore your sin. You can't, you can't redefine it as liberty. God has the right to define sin. Strip Aaron of his garments, his regalia, his representative clothes, That meant the mitre that spoke of the holiness unto the Lord, the breastplate of righteousness, the ephod with the shoulder pouches, the glorious robe that he wore that dazzled with the sun. He went up and he he was stripped of all the regalia and he was left with the linen clothes, just like Jesus had linen clothes as they carried him to the tomb. This plain old linen clothes speaking of his manhood. It's all he had left. Aaron got to see, most likely, the, the clothing of his, of his son. And though, no doubt, there were tears falling down his cheeks, what a blessing to know that God's work continues. I die, but there's someone that takes the baton. What a godly legacy for Eliezer, his son, and his sons, and the people of God. See, we have to remember, we're all all expendable. We're all dying. Are we passing the baton on to our sons and grandsons, to others? Be faithful. Preach Christ. Live for the Lord in this world of wickedness. Any dead fish can float downstream be a fish that, that swims upstream. Be that salmon. The world is, is, is just this running brook and stream and river. And jump in and everybody's having fun. They don't realize there's a cliff at the end. No, don't go toward the cliff. Go upstream. Go to the source. Live for the Lord. God's servants die and we graduate, but God's service goes on. Pass the baton of faithfulness, obedience. Sometimes when you apply it to a church, a church life is 10 years or 20 years or 30 or 40 or 50. Spurgeon's Church still is going on faithfully in London. Peter Masters is preaching the gospel in London at the same place that Charles Spurgeon preached in the 1800s. But there are some churches that are faithful 10 years or 20 years. And the hope is that we don't go downhill and become liberal and the gospel is no longer preached and we're apostates. Then the Lord just vomits us out. May this church building never be used to preach a false gospel. The Lord opens the door and no man can shut it. And he shuts the door and no man can open it. If the Lord would shut this door, it's been 35 or 40 years, however long it is, may it not be because we have failed to preach the gospel. God can cause the life of the church to extend. That's his prerogative. Are we faithful to the Lord? Let us preach the whole counsel of God. Let us leave a godly legacy. Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. A son carries on the work of his father. 
the, the church of Jesus Christ is from generation to generation. Remember Ephesians 3, the wicked prophet, so-called so Harold Camping, said the church age was over. He was a lying prophet. Ephesians tells us, unto, unto God be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. All ages. World without end. Amen. All ages, right to the end, the church of Christ will continue. No one will thwart Christ's efforts. Are we passing on the baton? What will our children say of us at the funeral when they see us in the box? Will they be able to say, serve the Lord all their days? They weren't perfect, but they tried. They served the Lord. They feared God. They warned me to do right. They love the Lord. And will people believe when they think about your legacy after you die? Jesus didn't see any of his brothers saved until after he died. But they were in the upper room with Mary praying when the Lord was about to pour out his spirit at Pentecost. Death is a profitable time for sadness to do its good work. We read together from Ecclesiastes 7, sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. And you know, are we taking sides against this writer now? Really, you're telling me sorrow is better than laughter? He said so. Laughter doesn't always make the countenance better especially if it's a guffawing about vain things. Oh, it's, there's nothing wrong with laughing. Be careful, we're laughing about appropriate things. It is interesting that we never read once of Jesus laughing, but we know he did. We know he had smiles on his face when he lifted up those children in his arms. And when he said, Father, You've, you've hid these things from the wise and prudent and you've revealed them to babes when he spoke about his disciples, how they came back so excited that people were being saved. But the Bible over and over again talks about him being a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Oh, we smile and we laugh and plenty of opportunities. But how can we not sorrow when we see no interest in the things of God? So few care about their souls and about their children. They're worried about their children's education and roof over their heads and clothes on their back and food in their stomach and education in the schools. But their souls, they're going to live somewhere forever. They're concerned about 60, 70, 80 years, and they should be. But what about your child's soul? Don't you want them to be in heaven and yet you never darken the, the, the doors of a church or, or dust the, the dust off your Bibles and open them. Driving little kids that have never heard the name Jesus before. He's, it's, he's only a swear word to kids. When all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron 30 days, even all the house of Israel. So contrary today. Get it over with. Have you ever gone into, into funeral homes and, and viewings? And there's an atmosphere of guffawing. There's a dead person here and we all are going to realize what, what's going to happen to us when we die and especially how often I've gone into funeral homes of the person that did not give a profession of faith and they're laughing and guffawing and I'm thinking, man, you should be mourning, pleading with God to prepare for eternity. But what a privilege it's been. I've had probably 20 funerals of people that I didn't that didn't give any evidence of salvation. They stared at me like I was 
grim reaper. It's a lonely business, I'll tell you, to stand up in a nursing home and it's time to go before the podium and you've got 20, 30, 40 people staring at you that have no evidence of knowing the Lord. And I've got to give them the truth they probably never heard before. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let sorrow have its work. Did they visit his grave at the top of the mountain? Why rush the drying of the tears? People want to rush over the sorrow. 30 days. The writer acknowledges this. You say, man, that was prolonged. That was excessive. How morbid. That's not how he writes. He writes that, look, they loved him. They loved And they were letting sorrow do its work. It, it was a humbling effect. Man, death is foreign. It should have been foreign to the human race. Adam was, and Eve were created not to die. Isn't it wonderful that the day is going to come there will be no more death? No more crying, no more tears, no more pain. But that, that's not how it is today. A godly leader has fallen, a saint is gone, but he's gone to glory. When Elijah went to heaven, Elisha was sad. My father, the chariots, now you've left me. But like the angels, the angel told the apostles, when they watched Jesus ascend to heaven, it's done its work, and they no doubt mourned for a while. But he ascended to heaven. He'd already died, he rose from the dead. Now get busy and be faithful. Elisha had time to mourn, but he had to get busy. The people got busy, and they were preparing. That was the new generation. It wasn't long before Moses would die. And God would bury him. Nobody knows his, where his burial is, but Joshua would take over. Time for business now. We've, we've buried our fathers and our mothers and our grandparents. We've buried Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Now it's time for business. We've got to take the land. We've got to defeat the evil one. And so we have time to be sad when we lose loved ones. Those who die in Christ, we sorrow not as others which have no hope. You and I have been to funerals where they had no hope. They were crying like someone that had no hope about where their loved one was. And it's heart-wrenching. When David cries, Oh, Absalom, my son! My son Absalom! That's not the father who had hope that his son was in heaven! That's a father who's weeping over a soul, a son whose soul is damned in hell. Or the apostles, when they said Judas went to his own place, they didn't say that with delight. Or Jude, who said that when the Sodomites and the Gomorrah people died, they they were beginning to suffer the vengeance of eternal fire. But when believers die, we sorrow, but we sorrow not as others. We can say they're now forever with the Lord. They're with Christ. They're, they're spirits of just ones made perfect. Unlike the wicked prophet who said, let me die the death of the righteous. What he said was right, but he didn't die the the death of the righteous. The believer can say, let me die the death of the righteous to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. The theology of death is so helpful. The death of a saint is, is diametrically opposed to the death of a sinner without Christ. Where do you stand today? Are you in Christ or out of Christ? Do you have hope or are you hopeless? Come to Christ. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Trust in his substitutionary death on the cross and his substitutionary life of perfect righteousness. Believe on him. Lean on him heavily. Cast away the crutches of good works and and wishful thinking and false teaching. Cast away the crutches and fall on the Lord Jesus Christ as the rock of Gibraltar and you will be saved forever. Die the death of a saint, not the death of a sinner. Our Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus has taken away the stinger of death. We can face death and know it's an escort into your presence. We'll use our lives, Lord, as warning shots to others. We are dying men and women preaching to those who are dying. Pray, Lord, that you would use us to point people to thee. May we not be afraid of slander and those that would separate us from us because we speak the bare truth that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Forgive our fear of man. Forgive our preservation of self. Oh God, please let this be a new beginning for all of us to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way Let the righteous follow after thee. Help us, Lord, to redeem the time, knowing that the days are evil. We bless you for the hope of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close by singing number 637. There's a land that is fairer than day and the sweet by and by shall meet on that 